Do you miss the free and affordable ads and social networks without all of the anti-sex rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising and social spaces to the sex working community. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their two products, Trist.link and Switter.at, are refreshing and well-needed changes in both presentation and mission. And both are free to join and open to all. You can find both of our profiles on Trist, and I love how it is so clearly designed by sex workers. Yep, and I love how straightforward and easy it is to use and how much they clearly support the sex working community. And also how responsive they are when it comes to feedback and customer service. Check out their website, assembly4.com, for the word, not the number, for more info. Welcome to Somebody You Love, or the sale of two titties. I'm Jenna Love. And I'm Holly Hart. And we're experts in disappointing our parents, breaching community guidelines, and banging the people who vote against our rights. We'd like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. I am Jenna and I am on Darug and Gundungara land. Holly is on the land of the Ngunnawal people. And we have Chantelle calling in from the land of the Wangal clan of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and we extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. On this show, we tell stories from our own experiences as sex workers. Every sex worker will have their own unique experience. Some will be bad, some will be good, and most, just like ours, will be a blend of both, as with any job. Mainstream media often only shows the very good or the very bad. It's our goal with this podcast to humanise sex workers and show all the stuff in between that the media ignores, but we do acknowledge that we cannot capture the full range of experiences that exist in our whole community. Now, there are a lot of content warnings to go with this episode. Uh, We are discussing street-based sex work, whorephobia and transphobia, drug use, police entrapment, and some violence. There is also use of the T word in relation to transgender individuals and the P word in relation to sex workers. Chantelle is a transgender community service worker and activist at Swap New South Wales and former street-based sex worker. She moved from New Zealand to Sydney in the 80s and at that time began her gender transition, entered the sex industry and began using drugs. She worked through the height of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, before and after decrim in the 90s and is now doing outreach helping the community through the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello Chantelle, how are you? Hey Chantelle. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So you moved to Australia from New Zealand, I think, in the 80s. I did. Um, and when you moved here, you became a sex worker and you started your transition. Um, so was that your plan when you were coming here or is that just did it just sort of happen? Uh, it, it sort of like just happened. I mean, my big plan was to um, travel the world and I had a round the world ticket at the time and Australia was my first stop. So I got here to Australia in the 80s and uh, I discovered the nightlife because in New Zealand at the time, all the nightlife shut at 11 
Okay. Of course. Well, much like Sydney now. Yeah. Swapped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So so everything shut really early unless you lived in the big cities like Auckland, Wellington or Christchurch. Okay. I didn't come from any of those cities. I came from a smaller city. So everything closed at 11. So, of course, when I hit the shores of Australia and, um, you know, hit the cross, I hit everything else as well. You know, and it was amazing. You know, I had the An best awakening. time. Um, and it's kind of like 24-hour shops and clubs and partying, you know, and so that's what I got caught up in is, was the nightlife. Um, and then, of course, I, um, you know, ran out of money and I needed money. I didn't have a job. Back then, it was really, really hard in the 80s for Kiwis to get jobs over here because previously... A few handful of naughty Kiwis had come over, got on a dole, you know, worked for about six months, got on a dole and spent the rest of their bloody life on the beach, okay? So the government here went, right, we're going to put an end to that, right? And so it became really, really hard to get a job over here for me. Uh, when I fell on hard times and needed the money, I met a couple of trans workers from Auckland, and I told them about my predicament and I said to them, oh, look, I'm going about to get kicked out of my unit. And they said, well, love, you're going to have to come down the street and sell your hole. And I went, what do you mean? You know, and they said, you know, what, you, you know, you know, you're just going to have to come down and do what we do. So I thought I couldn't do that. I just possibly couldn't do that. But a couple of my friends, of course, it was at the very beginning of my transition as well I hadn't transitioned yet so they threw me in a frock and then they said come on get down the street and it was like a nightmare I thought my look number one couldn't walk in heels right never worn a bloody dress before never put makeup on oh my god it was like tragic I was like it was like tragedy on on heels and um and you know, that was my entrance into the sex industry. I mean, of course, it didn't take me long to pick it up and, you know, get get into the swing of it and get used to the clients pulling up on cars. The whole scene was really, really different. Have I thought the nightlife here was, was something? Being in the sex industry and transitioning, it's not something that I would recommend for anyone who's just starting out to transition is to go into street-based sex work because... You've just got to be focused on so many things, you know. Sex work itself back in that, um, back then in the 80s, you're you're constantly jumping in and out of cars and you don't know whose car you're jumping into. So, you you know, you're just jumping in there, doing the job and then getting out and then jumping in the next car. You're copying a lot of flack from the public. You know, they're throwing bottles at you. They're calling your names. As a trans worker, um, you know, we were always called boys or, you know, you're a man and show us your balls and all of that sort of stuff. So there was a whole lot of stuff going on in my life and many of the other sisters' lives who had transitioned at that time in the in, in, in the sex industry. We had to deal with that on a personal level, but then we also too had to deal with, you know, the stigma and discrimination in the sex industry on the street as a trans sex worker. So it was, um, look, 
I wouldn't say it was fun. It didn't become fun until I got used to working the street and knowing the rules because there's rules and, 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 and different ways of keeping yourself safe. Um, and, you know, the other thing about it, which I, I know we're going to be talking about later, is that sex work was criminalised. So it was a criminal to be a sex worker back then, you know. So we had to worry about not only the public... But we had to worry about the police and we also had to worry about clients that would pull little numbers on us. Nothing compared to what's happening now, but some are still doing the same thing. But mm. it was twice as worse back then, you know. So oh, yeah. How did you find – so you obviously had this – it sounds like you had a group of, of good friends who were who were sex working and who were trans or transitioning as well. It, it sounds to me like you, that that was crucial to you mm. being able to survive in that in that world, um, how did you did you f- interact much with cis workers? Did you find that you were treated differently, or uh, yeah, we we look there were back then also to the street was split up into different sections. Okay, so a lot of the trans workers would work in a in a laneway now called Premier Lane. And that's where a lot of us were put. It's 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 a dark, dingy lane in the back. Back in the day, it was called Tranny Lane. I don't mean to be offensive to any of my sisters out there who don't prefer that name, but it, it used to be called Tranny Lane uh, and um, because we were all working there. But it was dangerous in that laneway. What happened was a lot of uh, new property developments were going up in that area. So then the council realised, oh, my God, we've got to move these prostitutes away from that area, so they put us down onto uh, the street. So it kind of like we were only allowed to work between this set of lights and that set of lights. So we were boxed into a little tight area. It was illegal to work on any of the side streets that ran off William Street. And so we only had each other. And, um, yeah, we formed a really, really strong sisterhood. And And I mean that... In, in the best way possible because we we did everything together. Um, we had ways of protecting ourselves, you know, like if I jumped in a car and jumped in a car with a client and drove past one of the girls, she'd notice the colour of the car. The next girl would notice the number plate. The next girl would notice maybe the client with a moustache. So there were three ways of identifying where I went um, and who I went with and this mind you this is all before mobile phones you know so we had to come up with other ideas of keeping ourselves safe and that was the way we would do it so if I never got back within a certain time because we all knew how long it took to do a a car job um, you know from an hour for sex in a car or if it's just a quick heady, it would be, you know, half an hour to 15 minutes. So we all knew the timing. So if I wasn't back within an hour, then they'd all start asking questions like, hey, where did Chantel go, you know? She's not back yet. and Or somebody, or if I've come back, I've gone to score. <laughs> and so the girls was, oh, yeah, no, 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 she's back. You know, she's just, yeah. <laughs> she's gone up the road, you know, to get, you know, what she yeah. usually gets. You know, so we all kept an eye on each other and, and, and that sisterhood was um, tight, really, really, really tight. And But we did everything together, like I said. We worked together. We fought together. Oh, my God, did we ever. It was just like family, you know. We like <laughs> It was just horrible. We, we The things we did to each other, we would steal off each other. We would tell lies to each other. We 
but we would also too, we cried together, we protected each other, you know, no matter, you know, I could have a fight with one of the girls the night before and then the next day it's done, you know, we're over it. And it's kind of like we'd remind each other what we've done and that's it and move on. Because you didn't really have the time to hold a grudge against each other because you only had a small, a small space to work in, you know. But the good thing about and it... And you had to have each other's backs. Yes, and we had to. That's had to. Yeah. And it, no matter what we did to each other, that's the main thing that we did was we always made sure that we were safe. And, of course, the street-based sex work back then is very different to how it is now. There were, like, hundreds of, of people going up that street into the cross because yeah. it's the street that goes into King's Cross, you see, and Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights were bumper to bumper with cars. The cars would go all the way back down William Street into the city and they would it would take a car from the city, say maybe Elizabeth Street, coming along William Street, going into King's Cross, it would take a car between a half an hour to 45 minutes just to get yeah. to the spot where we were. And that's how it was, It which is a row of lights going all the way back into the city. Buses would come down with, you know, what do you call them, guys that are about to get married? Um, oh, uh, like bachelors. Bucks, bucks night. Like, yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, bucks, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> so busloads of bucks would come down, right, yeah. just to see the trans workers and, you know, maybe tie one of the bucks up to the power pole where we worked yeah. <laughs> and then slap a sign on him, you know, saying, toot if you think I'm gorgeous. <laughs> and, he's, and he's, you know, oh, my God, it was hilarious. So we had... There were moments of fun, and but there were also two moments of you know where it wasn't so much fun. Can I just ask, when you say that the new development or the builders of new developments moved you on, does that mean that you know they were calling law enforcement, or you know how do they get you to be from one street to the next? How does that work? A lot of it was from residents you know, reporting that we were in the area, okay, because Premier right, Lane I'd is say. actually off um, off a few of the streets down there that were illegal, okay, so there was all residents oh. there in that area. So when the property developments, yeah. it was the council that actually moved us on because when, when you have a, a new property development, of course, it's going to go up there and, of course, that... You know, the people that live in that new property are going to say, right, okay, there's prostitutes down the end. That's so disgusting. You know, you need to, you guys need to do something about it. And so that's how they were able to move us on. Because prior to Premier Lane, they used to work in, uh, they used to have us in Darley Street, which is further up, well before my time. Forgive my total ignorance here, but so it, technically street-based work was illegal, but they would turn a blind eye to those streets, is that correct? Or the streets were actually legal to work on? That? Yeah, no, William Street was the only legal part of that street and, wow. the, and the red light district was only that little strip, okay? The side streets were totally illegal. So, And it made it really, really hard because clients don't want to pick you up on a busy street, right? Yeah. Because there's too many yeah. lights, okay? They don't want to get spotted by a family member or their wife, heavens forbid, or, you know, a friend that's driving up through, you know, the cross. So they don't want so to there's get... There's no privacy. No. Yeah. And so what they used to do is swing down the side streets. Of course, then we'd run over, just yeah. get to jump in the car and then bang. 
the cops would be there and they'd all be undercover as well, you know. So, and they'd have an undercover sitting down at the end of the side streets, just waiting, you know, waiting and then to see, catch waiting you. to catch you. So there were, yeah. Great there was, use of taxpayers' dollars. Oh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely. And yeah. the entrapment was just, you know, appalling. But that's the way it was. And they would pose as, as clients? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd never oh. know. You'd jump in the car and then as soon as you hear the central locking go off, you knew straight oh. away that you were done. You know, that's what happened to me. I got picked up in the side street, you know, I jumped in the car and as soon as I heard the central locking lock, I thought, damn, you know, and, and and I couldn't say to him, well, you did, you know, you didn't tell me you were an officer. They didn't really care. You know, you're, no. you're, you're done. Yeah, there also used to be a quota for the police to arrest back in those days. Okay, so maybe every fortnight between 12 and 15 workers, whether they be trans or cisgendered workers or male workers, but they had to have that quota every fortnight. Different times also too, because if you were caught down on on the street working, you were given one warning, and if you were back down there, you know, uh, the following, you know, they gave you a week's warning. So, say if they warned me on the Thursday, if I was back down there the following Thursday, I was gone. They would pick me up and take me away, you know. So that affects your ability. If you know that, then you can't work on that day and then you can't earn an income. Or, yeah, or you do and you take that risk. And, yeah. Very different times. And also, too, I think also, too, it's good to know, and I didn't find this out until I started working for SWAP, but there was a partial decriminalisation of the sex industry, based sex industry only, back in 1979. So, but... But for whatever reason that was made for, it never helped us, you know. So I don't know what good that was to partially decriminalise the street-based sex workers because what happened was the police were still arresting us, you know, they were still coming down and taking our money, you know, and driving us out to you know, Penrith or Parramatta and dropping us off and getting us to find our own way back into the city. So I kind of like... You know, when I found out that there was partial decriminalisation of the street base um, of, of of the street based sex working area, I thought to myself, "Well, we never felt any of that. We to- totally felt the opposite." You know, yeah. so I I don't know. I've never heard of that. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I never heard of it, and we never heard Ooh. of it either until and I started working you were for directly affected yeah. by it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, "Oh, okay. Well, you could have fooled me." <laughs> so as as you said, it was such a different time, obviously. Can you share a little bit of what it was like to be a transgender, drug-using, street-based sex worker at the height of the AIDS epidemic? Um, so I guess as a trans worker, things were as good as they were ever going to get for a lot of us. Um, at least we had each other, okay? Um, yeah, it was hard, it's, it, it, but, you know, we, we may do. As a, 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 as a, a you know, a, a drug user, a lot of us, the majority of us had to be on something, you know, to be down there to deal with all of the drama that came with it, you know. It wasn't because we wanted to be on drugs. It's just that, you know, when you when you hurled accusations day in and day out and had bottles and bricks and stuff thrown at you, 
day in and day out, okay, you kind of like need something to take the edge off, right? And so drugs is it for us or alcohol. The unfortunate thing about it is the longer you use those substances, the more addicted you become to them, you know, and, and, and that's something I wasn't aware of back then. I mean, mm. I just, you know, we, we just, it's something that we just did. And then, of course, you know, when you've been down there for many years, like I was down there for over 20 years, and uh, so got to see and experience a lot, you know, and, and, and this is n- nothing against drugs, full stop. I mean, hey, it started off fantastic. Loved it, you know. It was pleasurable, but you know, when you when you have to take drugs to sort of like block things out, especially in that scene and 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 at that time, yeah, it will take its toll. So it it did eventually bring me to my knees, absolutely, and uh, I saw it ruin a lot of other workers as well, you know. But also, that's just our story, who used drugs and alcohol. I worked with sisters who never used drugs, and they were able to come down there and work quite, you know, it was just not our thing, you know. And well, we all have different coping mechanisms as well, don't we? I mean, I've never had alcohol in my life, but I can tell you I've got some less than healthy coping mechanisms, you know. Mm. And I definitely <laughs> used drugs to cope with a lot of my life yeah. in my youth, yeah. so I get that yeah, yeah yeah and I think um as a trans sex worker I think there was the stuff that I had to deal with with work but then there was also to the other emotional stuff and what I was going through um as a trans woman you know and transitioning and everything that went with that you know like family stuff and uh you know coping with society and society coping and coping with me, you know, and being accepted, you know, and all of that stuff. So, and that's why I say to, you know, a lot of people I I tell my story to, you know, just choose one thing first, (laughs) you know, work on one thing first. Don't do the whole three because I did the whole three. I did the sex work, the transition and the drugs and, you know, kind of like, I guess you could say in a way the drugs kind of like, you know, help me cope with the other two. Uh, a lot better, you know. So they all, for me, they had a, they served the purpose. And uh, even though they did bring me to the, my knees in the end, I mean, I'm grateful for that experience. I don't have no regrets about using drugs or doing what I did. And yes, using drugs and uh, too many drugs, I guess, uh, when working as a sex worker, yeah, there were moments where I, you know, I had taken risks, you know, and that just comes part and parcel with when you overdo things, Yeah, you know? I mean, but there are, we all, we all take risks in our life and in our sex work and it's, they're different levels of risk and we, we, we navigate them. And that's what you do as a human being. We, we take risks every single day. So. Exactly. And I'm, I mean, like I'm here today to tell my story and to share it. So, I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's something to, to just be aware of. <laughs> of course. Um, so you've touched on that we apparently had some sort of decrim from 1979, but uh, did you notice a difference? Are you able to compare your experiences as a sex worker working before and after the, the proper de- decrim that was brought in in 1995? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I guess because I had worked 
prior to that, from the 80s right up to uh, 1995, I saw a huge change and a lot of um, a lot of workers, uh, street-based sex workers from that time saw a lot of change. Uh, amazing change where we were now able to report a crime if it happened to us, which we couldn't do in, in, in de- uh, when it was criminalised. If a client did something to us, we could have that seen to by seeking legal advice, which comes with decrim. We've got better health, whereas before, if you identified or if, you, if, if the healthcare worker found out you were a sex worker back when it was criminalised, they could report you. And so a lot of us wouldn't go and get tested because of that fact, because we didn't want to run the fact of getting, you know, booked. So those are just some of the changes that I saw, but definitely the worst perpetrators to us when it was criminalised were the police. And that's where I and many of my sisters noticed a very big change and a very big difference. And some of my sisters were not convinced that these police were doing the right thing because they just had experienced so much drama before in the past that they just were not going to trust the police at all. Um, of course, there's such a deep trauma there that you can't expect someone to just switch yeah. off. Yeah, and uh, oh, look, and, and some of that stuff is still around today. You know, 25 years on, it's still around today. I mean, like, you can still... I mean, I don't think... you. There aren't too many workers that will walk straight into a police station and say, right, you know, I want to report a sexual assault or I want to report this client did this to me, you know. Not many of them will do that Mm -hmm. because of the fact of... That stigma is still around, you know. How am I guaranteed that if I walk into the police station and tell tell you what happened to me, what's the guarantee of it getting seen to, you know, without me being... Yeah, Um, I've done that and I'm a a cis white woman, middle Mm. class. I walked in with my straight husband. Um, I'm, you know, very acceptable in uh, in traditional society and I was packing it. It was incredibly nerve-wracking and thankfully my experience was a positive one. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't blame any sex worker for, for not wanting to go near a police station. Yes, yeah, whereas um, some of us, especially the cheeky ones like myself, um, who <laughs> used to always stand up to the police and sort of like call them names because they, they really loved calling us names and they really would aim it at our gender. So they would always call us boys and we'd always yell back and say, we're fine girls, you know, <laughs> and we'd had that little banter. But because we got so used to doing that with each other, it became normal. But once decrim came in, that all changed. You know, they had to address us as who we were in the proper manner. They weren't allowed to come down and yell, yell um, you know, accusations and hurl, you know, bad things at us anymore. We weren't, we, and it, you know, funnily enough, it, when they stopped, we stopped. <laughs> you, know, you know, but it, in some cases, for me anyway, for a lot of the other girls, it wasn't the same story. But I guess because I, 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 I stood up to the police a lot um, before and, and when it was criminalised, I mean, 
the changeover made it a lot easier for for me because they, you know, at first I was surprised that they were even pulling up and saying, you know, good evening, ladies, and uh, how was your yeah. night? And it's kind of like, oh, I'm very suspicious here, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, and I'd say to them, you know, what's going on? You know, what are you guys up to? And they go, no, no, this is the new thing. This is what we're trying out. And I said, well, I don't know how to take that. You know, it took a while. Mm-hmm. It took a while for them to keep coming down and doing that before it was accepted, you know. Um, of course, there were still other workers that would never, ever go near them, even no matter how good they pretended to be, sure. you know. Yeah, mm. yeah. fair enough. So yeah, those, wow. are just, uh, those are just some of the things that, that changed, you know. Of course, it, it, it goes a lot bigger as well when you're talking about brothels and, and stuff like that because when decrim came in, it had to be... That's where decrim was taken, uh, criminal, like the criminalisation of sex workers was taken off the police and given mm. to other services like the council, for instance. Um, they they were the guys who had to sort it out, you know, and they'd never, ever experienced that before apart from maybe the occasional DA for a brothel that went across yeah. their desk. But, you know, oh, my God, now we've been given the whole of the sex industry to deal with and we don't have any template, we don't have anything set up. So that changed a lot. We've had decrim in New South Wales for a quarter of a century. Do you think that we still have a long way to go with the sex worker rights movement? Yes, we do. We do. Um, Just branching on that a little, when we got decrim, um, back in 1995, um, there were certain things that should have been added to that decrim, um, you know, like, for instance, how councils today are not on the same page. So they're just not... And, and, and I say that because you can go into, you know, a city of Sydney and work and two of you can work in, 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 you know, in a unit, you know, whereas if you cross over and go to another council, uh-uh, it's not allowed, you know. And then if you go out further and go up to maybe... Gosford, they won't allow you to work at all. And this is something I I, I learnt from uh, an activist um, and ad- and advocate way back in the day, where she was a part of that movement on um, you know getting decrim together because it was sex workers who pulled that together. You know, sex workers got together oh, yeah. and then put all of that together, teamed up with you know doctors and politicians, and and they went for it and they got us decrim. You know, and when we got decrim, the politician that was helping out because. The workers, of course, said, okay, now that we've got decrim, let's hurry up and put things in place, right? One of those things was to get the councils on the same page, okay? The politician at the time said, hey, look, you know what? You've got decrim. Be satisfied with that for now, okay? We'll work on the council stuff later down the track. Well, Mm. you know, 25 years later... We're still yeah, working on it, it's, it's, and it's yeah. not even—it's not even been brought up. It's not even been done. Nothing's been done about it, and so now you have councils making up all these different rules for themselves. You know, where they, it, nothing is congruent. You know, so and also too, they've got hideous laws where they the, you 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 have to if you're going to set up a brothel, it's got to be in an industrial area. You know, yeah. and all of that stuff, and and that then puts 
workers, uh, you know, safety at risk because they're yeah. way out, you know, away from everywhere. The same rule with, you know, you know, having workers work on their own, sort of like, you know, we work together in pairs because of safety, you know, and like work it out, you know. It's best yeah. to, you know. It seems pretty straightforward for us. Exactly. <laughs> so you've got all of these different um, discrepancies. But even though we have decrim now, um, there's still a lot to do. There's still a lot to do, tons to do that that was never picked up earlier, you know. Also to decrim it, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be the be-all and the a-all to everything. And as we've seen, if you go back the 25 years that we've had it, you can just about pretty much tick where it hasn't been okay anti-discrimination, you know, that needed to be brought in. but And it's only just been addressed now. And so there's still a long way to go. The answer to your question is still a lot of things that need to change for, um, you know, within decriminalisation for sex workers here. And, I mean, look, we we are very fortunate to be in this country, um, to have decrim and, and to be in New South Wales because if you're talking globally in the sex industry, oh, my God, you know, some of us are still being murdered, you know, for the colour of our skin because of being trans, because of being a sex worker, full stop. There are countries that are totally against what we're doing and they're murdering us. Yeah. We do have to remember that, don't we? But at the same time, we have to keep pushing the fight and we can't settle for for leaving anyone behind. So so tell it, this this moves well into um, talking about SWAP. So you work with uh, the Sex Worker Outreach Project, the New South Wales branch. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. Okay, so SWAP was born out of decrim, okay, but prior to SWAP, they used to, the, the Ministry of Health set up a, an organisation called the Australian Prostitutes Collective. Back in the 80s, I think they started. It was only a pilot project. So it started up uh, for the whole purpose um, so that the Ministry of Health could find out why and how um, they could reach sex workers. Because back then in the 80s, as you all know, that was the start of the AIDS epidemic. So for a lot of communities, uh, there were a few that were marginalised in the way of spreading HIV and vectors of disease yeah. and all of those other... Yeah, well, the, the media and the politicians didn't exactly help with that marginalisation, did they? They did not. They did not at all. And so what happened with that, because, you know, you've got um, the gay... The, the, you know, the, uh, the gay community that were um, marginalised, uh, injecting drug users and sex workers. So... The Ministry of Health needs to find a way of trying to address those uh, and getting stuff out there, like PPE for sex workers and, and, you know, clean and safe injecting equipment for, you know, injecting drug users and condoms and everything for both sex workers, for the whole three, you know. Uh, And um, so they were only able to do that by forming these organisations and those three are still around today. So we have swap, uh, the, the Australian Prostitutes Collective that, you know, ran over I think a period of a year or two, two years maybe, and all of that information and all that data and research that was collected through the Australian Prostitutes Collective was fed back to the Ministry of Health back then. And of course they looked at all of that information and they saw so many positives in having peers deliver, you know, um, health promotion to our our own community, you know, we were we, we were more receptible to taking condoms or safe and uh, you know clean injecting equipment from a peer rather. Than-
rather than from, you know, somebody who's real clinical and it's going to throw the book at us first before they actually give us the condoms or whatever. So with all that information, they took that away and then out of that, you know, not long after we had Decrim and that's where SWAP was born. We're funded by the Ministry of Health. We're not funded enough, though, I feel. You know, but we're better off than a lot of other sex worker organisations throughout Australia. You know, some of them are running on the smell of a bloody oily rag, you know, and just doing the best that they can. And they're they're in states that are... That are, it's, it's still criminalised, you know, um, and it, they don't have decriminalisation. So I take my hat off to our sister organisations in, in other states, you know, that don't have what SWAP does. Um, but from that, we're funded by the Ministry of Health to do what we do. I mean, without decriminalisation, we wouldn't be able to reach half of the people that we've got or have nearly enough allies that we have today. It's only because SWAP's been able to to operate in a decrim system where we're able to go there, we're able to sit on, you know, panels, we're able to have a sex worker voice here at everywhere where there's need where it needs to be, especially with the police. You know, so we do that. We do um, outreach. We outreach to all the brothels and, um, you know, massage parlours and private sex workers and, you know, street-based sex workers. We do all of that. We run, you know, uh, workshops for our community. You know, of course, it's all been virtual. But, I mean, hey, I mean, where else would you find, you know, Private Worker 101? Which helps a lot of workers in this, in this day and age, especially with the pandemic, who were brothel workers only, helps them transition over into the private sector, you know. Look, as a New South Wales worker who doesn't live in the city, I've actually found the, the online workshops to be more accessible for me. So that's it's kind of been a positive, I think, for some of us that are, you know, more regional and stuff. Yep, exactly, exactly. So there's all of that stuff there that that happens, um, that's what's doing. Um, we, we know we're at, at events. We, we support our local, you know, community and events like we attend Pride, you know, uh, and just love it. And then we're going to, you know, we work with the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community as well, you know, in that area. Of course, that's a different um, community altogether when it comes to sex work. They don't, they don't identify as sex workers. It's sex favours or it's opportunistic, you know, and so we've had to change the language there. So we're doing quite a few things, but our website and our Facebook page, just follow us and you'll get to know all the information there. <laughs> Sure, that will be all linked in the show notes yes, as usual. We'll have that. Jenna yeah. is very organised. Uh, so, Chantel, what is your role at SWAP? And can you tell us a little bit more about what your role specifically involves? Okay, so when I originally first started with SWAP, I've been with SWAP now for 12 years. And um, when I first came here, look, can I just say this first before we go any further about my starting with SWAP is that I never ever planned or never ever thought that I would be here working as an outreach worker, honestly, because when I, as I mentioned before in in, in my spiel that I, um, drugs brought me to my knees, um, I took myself off and went into rehab and then came out, got my shit together and then um, kind of like, the only thing I wanted to do was I just wanted to be as far away from people as possible because I blamed there was 
this massive blame game going on for me when I got clean off um, alcohol and drugs. And it was kind of like I blamed people for my downfall. I blamed uh, the certain jobs that I did for my downfall. And so when I came out of rehab, I just wanted to go as far away from pupil, people as possible. And I wanted to be a National Parks and Wildlife Officer. And I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a cabin in the bush where I saw no humans, where I only had communication with plants and animals who didn't talk back to me or anything like that, right? So clearly that didn't happen. Um, you know, I, I I started doing a course that was going to lead me into conservation and land management as one of the modules for National Parks and Wildlife. But a girlfriend called me up and she knew I had gone to um, a rehab and got out and, and I was, you know, sort of like um, she hadn't spoken to me for a while. So she sent me a text message saying, you know, hey, Chantel, did you know that SWAT was looking for an outreach worker? And I texted her back and I said, oh, God, what the hell's that? And she said, um, do you remember when you were on the street working um, and these two people would come around with their backpacks on their back with all the condoms? I went, oh, of course. I used to grab all my fits from them and all my condoms and lube. She goes, well, that's what they're asking for. But they're actually asking for a transgender outreach worker. And I went, oh. <laughs> and I just went, oh, I don't know. You know, because I just, you know, finished working on the street about a year ago and kind of like had all this fear about if I go back near the street that I would go back to using and and my life would just go backwards. So I said, okay, so I thought, right, okay, well, I need a bloody job, you know, and and, and, um, it's not the job that I chose, right, but I I need a job. So I went for the job interview and um, before the before the job interview, I asked uh, another um, sister to come with me down to William Street and she goes, oh, my God, you've done so well with yourself. You've put yourself in rehab and everything. And, sister, yeah, you're going to go back down onto the street. And I said, it's not what you think, sis. I just need your support just to be down there. I've applied for a job which will take me back down there to the street. And I'm not quite sure whether I'll be able to do it or not because, mm-hmm. you know, that was my life down there and so was my drug life as well, you know. And a lot of the sisters that I used to use with were down there. So there's all this fear about, oh, my God, I need to find out whether I can do this because if I can't go back down onto the street and stand there for one hour, okay, it's not the job for me and I'll just ring them up the next day and just tell Swap, no, I can't do it. But my girlfriend and I went down there and we stood there and the 10 workers I didn't want to see were the very 10 workers that turned up. Of course. <laughs> and um, you know what? It was good. It was good. And the other thing was as well was because I had support as well around me, you know. Like I had my friend there that used to be a worker as well. She knew the school with me and, and with everything, my drug use and, my, you know, the working down there. And it was it was great. It was great to see everyone. And that's what told me that I could do this job. So, you know, I went for the job. I got the job. I still wasn't convinced that this was the job for me because I'd never done that side of sex work, you know, being in the sex industry. I've never... I've I've only been a sex worker. I've only, you know, like, psychog and lick ass, you know? So that's it, you know? Um, And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing in this job? You know, like, oh, my God. I, I mean, I love the fact that I was going down there and, and helping the girls, but 
I just wasn't convinced that, you know, that, that, that this was for me. And it took, it would have been about two years into the job. So pretty much that's a long version of how I got there. But my role is kind of like, so I do trans outreach to any of the sisters or brothers that are out there who, you know, are looking to come into the industry. I guide them in what they need to know, um, maybe throw into the mix a little bit, bit about my personal experience, you know. Um, do the street outreach, of course, and uh, brothel outreach to a lot of the brothels. I don't like to pin myself in, see, because when I first started with Swap, there was the transgender project, there was the male project, and there was the female project and there was the Aboriginal project. I'm thinking to myself, you know something, our outreach workers are unbelievable. We are so diverse and versatile that we can just shift over. My community come into the office. They don't necessarily come to see me. No, you know they'll come in and they'll 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 see anyone who, who who will help them. Occasionally, I'll get a close friend that'll come in, which we love to catch up and talk about old times. But you know, there's there's that part of the job. I also to um, do a few interagencies. I'm not the only outreach worker that does interagencies, but I do a majority of them. And that means sitting on um, at meetings, uh, monthly meetings where there are other service providers that are at those meetings. And it's really good to have a sex worker voice there because a lot of those, because our community will cross over and overlap a lot of those services, like there's drug and alcohol there, and there's mental health services there, there's the police, there's everything, you know. So we get to have a bird's eye view on what's going on. And if there's anything that comes up at that table, that sex worker related, it's my time to, you know, to chime in and say, okay, well, kind of like the community members saying that they're seeing 50 workers on the street. Well, I can tell you I'm the outreach worker. I'm telling you there's only five. So I don't know where she's getting her 50 workers from. That kind of like squashes that whole, you know, that stigmatising and that, you know, all of that stuff quashes that. There is a prison program that um, we've started up as well at SWAP where we will pop in and see workers who, um, you know, are incarcerated um, and and especially for trans workers who go into um, male prisons. They still go into male prisons. So that's, um, you know, something that's been going for about another three, four years now. And the in-services that I do, I do a lot of in-services for SWAP where I'll go and do some training with organisations, especially health organisations, on, you know, how to deal with workers and don't ask stupid questions when they've just turned (laughs) up for an STI. You check, you know, don't ask them about, you know, if you happen. Because the thing is, you know, like, it's a privilege to know who we are and what we do, okay? So if a worker's going to disclose that to you, okay, you know, respect that, you know, respect that. Don't bloody ask stupid questions like, oh, so you're a sex worker, oh, so how you'd see a lot of clients in the night, you know, and, or other questions like, how much would you make, you know, or, God, you know, or worse still by saying, oh, well, you know that, you know, this is why you're, you've got an STI is because you're a sex worker. So all of those sort of... Stupid questions um, I will go into on behalf of SWAP and speak to health workers like doctors and nurses. And it's good insight as well. I let them know about everything, about the history of SWAP and what we do and how we do it and how we work closely together to get the best benefit for our workers and for our community. And because I'm trans, I just throw in the mix and just 
tweet the old transgender you know, talk. And uh, I um the first time I went to the the sexual health clinic that's near me, they had no idea. They I don't think the the doctor I was dealing with anyway. I don't think they'd heard of Swap. I don't think they'd heard of Scarlet Alliance. And I was like, you've got. The Red Book here, you've got like you've got publications from them in your office. And they were so clueless and they were like, Oh, can you get us in contact? And I was like, um, okay, I don't see how this is something's fallen through the cracks here, but <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done there for sure. And there is, there is, and, and I guess that's a big part of why Swap is out there and, and doing all of this because you know and it's re- I love I love doing it. As you can tell I love the sound of my own voice. So I loved going and you I love talking to them. Voice. Thank you. And I just okay. love just telling them and just letting them know what it is and that we do. Um, and, and doing some sensitivity training, that's really important as well, you know, because you've got people that work in the health system um, and, 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 and you know, at health services that haven't a clue about the sex industry that, and they've made up their own mind about who we are and what we are and um, a lot of it is bad, you know, a lot of it is bad and sort of like that brushes off when we go to get our tests and uh, they're brings on those stupid comments and, you know. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't go back regularly to get tested if you felt like you were going to be judged. I know that here in Canberra, the sexual health clinic that I go to is extremely compassionate and treats me with so much dignity and they never make me feel anything but respected when I go there. And I I would guarantee that they've had meetings with SWAP or I believe they're Meridian here in Canberra now, which is wonderful, you know, but I can definitely see that if you were going in to get your testing done and people were making you feel, you know, less than, that would disincentivize it massively. So knowing that, you know, somebody's out there advocating in those spaces is really helpful. Yeah, and and, and the good, yeah, and, and, and you're right because, I mean, like, it's through organisations like SWAP and, and all of the other sister six worker organisations around Australia. We go out there and we just, we're in the community there, we're in there. We target, I guess, well, anyway, SWAP does anyway. We, we target the, the first, the most priority people that we need to, so the police, then, of course, the health services, you know. They're our main go-tos because... It's constantly changing as well with those um, services. Like you can go in one month, do that training, and then the next month they're gone and they've moved on somewhere else. But the hope is that they've taken that information and carried it over to wherever they've gone to. However, where they've left from, you've got a new worker that's taken their place who has no bloody clue. So it's kind of like an ongoing thing that we have to do. And the good thing about um, SWAP is that we have such a great rapport with all of these services that they will call us and say, hey, you know, we've got some new workers that have come in. Um, is it possible for SWAP to come and do some training with them and you know, and all of that stuff? I mean, hell yeah, we'd love to do that training, you know, yeah. we're there. So they're actually yeah. proactive, it's not you Absolutely. having to chase them down. No, no, and, and, and that's the good thing right. about here and being in New South Wales and I guess having decrim. That they're, they're, they're also to, um, you know, they're free to give us a call, whereas before they would never have thought of that, you know, never, because they would not want to instigate themselves and put themselves and line themselves up with a sex work organisation full stop. But today it's very, very different. So that's all of the questions that Holly and I had, but we always do reach out to our patrons when we're having a guest on and, and we, we like to include their questions. So we've got a couple more for you. I know we've held you for a little while today. That's okay. You're too interesting. It's your fault. 
Um, so first up, oh, I, I would not know how to answer this one. So good luck. What would you say has been the most rewarding part of your journey in the sex industry? I reckon you can include time as a sex worker and, and with swap, whichever one. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, as a sex worker, I think for me, the most rewarding thing as a sex worker is finding myself and discovering who I am in the sex industry because that's helped immensely. I came into the industry not knowing anything about sex, you know, at all. And then the journey I've been on and being in the industry for so long, oh my God, there's so many ways to have sex, you know, (laughs) so many ways. And that's been so rewarding for me. Some of it I've got into and other things, you know, I might pass on that one, but each to their own. It's given me a, 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 a very open mind to um, what turns people on and um, that's been really, really rewarding um, for me in the sex industry. Um, it, it, of course, finding myself and, um, and, and really appreciating that independence as a sex worker. I'm not working for the man, you know. I'm working for myself, you know. I don't answer to no one else but me, you know. I choose who I want to see, when I want to see them. That's been really, really rewarding. With Swap, um, for me the most, oh, there's many, but I'll pluck out one rewarding moment and that's the opportunity to be able to kind of support my community in a way where I can go out there and read the news about the industry and hopefully that they get it you know these people that I speak to you know the other thing I do is is I will attend conferences and go around um well I've been to Durban you know and um stood stood up at a presentation and done a presentation you know and that's been really really rewarding you know to be able to who'd have ever blooming thought that this street-based sex worker from the 80s was going to be one day standing up in front of thousands of people talking about sucking cock licking ass and having a (laughs) bloody good time you know I would not have thought that you know it was certainly not something that I chose but hey I'm here and but how bloody good is that absolutely yeah, and fantastic. to be able yeah and to be able to pass on all of that the knowledge that I've learned from swap because it's not just my voice it's 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 it's, it's the whole of Swap's voice. Everyone that works at Swap has a story, you know, and I'm so grateful to be here at Swap to learn those stories and be able to use those stories in a way that benefit our community, you know, and make it better and easier for them to maybe come forward and and speak out, you know, or to have a place where they can call and speak to a peer, you know. That's been really, really rewarding, especially during the pandemic. You know, we've got this pandemic that's happening and our community is struggling. Some of us are struggling in that community. I'm very grateful that I have a job. Half of our community don't have jobs anymore, you know, because of the pandemic. Brothels are closed. Massage parlors are closed. You know, street-based sex work. You know, you, 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 everything's just closed. It's shut down. The streets are empty. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I'm, I'm you know that that's you know I'm grateful to 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 have a job and be here today. But I think I'm a storyteller, as you can tell, and I love I, I love telling these stories. You know, it, it, you know, to, in 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 the aid that it's going to benefit our community, everyone in our community. You know, doesn't matter. What gender you are, who you are, what colour you are, you're in the sex industry. I just, 
I just love doing what I do. I love being who I am and being able to go out there, you know. The next question from our patrons is, did you ever doubt yourself as a sex worker and or activist and how did you overcome those fears? I did doubt myself as a sex worker at one a couple of times, you know. There were times when I stood down on that street in the cold winter nights and just thought, fuck, you know, there has to be something better than this, you know, having to come down here, freeze your ass off and do what, you know, just to, just to get a couple of hundred dollars, you know. So there were quite a few moments where I had doubts about being a sex worker and then especially in this, in this, on the street. And how I overcame that was I decided, and it was a client actually, who um, who I saw, who was really lovely, um, one of the very few clients that we have. So if you guys are out there listening, there are some really goodies out there. He said to me, you're in the wrong place and you're in the wrong business. You know, you should be doing something else. And I went, well, thank you very much for your opinion. All I want is your money, okay, so I can get out of your car. Right. But we can't pay our rent no, opinions. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that, that stuck with me, what he said. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, so maybe, you know, I'll try and get a job. And as I mentioned before, it was really, really hard before I transitioned to get a job. It was even harder to get a job once I transitioned. So I forced myself to go out and get a a so-called normal job. And what happened was once I got that job, I worked my way up to getting the job that I wanted. And that was to work in sales. What else? I mean, you know, what do hookers do? What we're good at? Selling. We sell. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I went into sales. And kind of like what I would do is... I'd do sales for a couple of years, I'd get over that and then jump back into the sex industry. And so I would, you know, jump between the two jobs and and throughout my whole over 25 years, that's what I did, you know. And um, so that addressed that whole, how did I get over that, you know, not wanting to be in the sex industry. It's not for everyone and it doesn't work for everyone, but it worked for me. What would you say is the number one difficulty faced by those that you meet through your outreach work? For now, um, in this pandemic, is connecting with our community because not all of us are huggers, but a majority of us love to have a hug, you know, now and then. And, and, and also to, we love to be able to talk with each other. So it's been really, really difficult because Swap also too delivers food boxes, okay, and through the pandemic, we did it all through last year and we're doing it again this year. But that's been really, really hard and the two deliveries have been different as well. Last year, we were able to stand and talk for five or ten minutes, however long we could stand there, drop a food box off and actually take time out to connect and engage with our community member, you know, talk to other workers. And that's what we miss the most. This year, we're not able to do that. It's a no-contact drop-off now. And that's really, really difficult, you know. You've got somebody who wants to talk and reach out, and so we're having to guide them to the phone and get them to give us a call. And it's really, really difficult. I hate it. I hate it because I'm so used to being there and and being able to talk with, um, you know, workers and be able to hear them out because, I mean, it's so isolating. And we get get it. We get it. But uh, that's been really difficult. The other difficulty... In the sex industry is um, not being, I guess, having workers come forward with some of these 
horrible things that are happening to them that were happening to us way back in the day. They're still happening. And that's really difficult to sometimes hear, you know, the sexual assaults, you know, the bashings, you know, and not only from the clients, but also too from their partners. So the whole domestic violence thing is kind of really difficult. Yeah, that's, it's got to be tough to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. Yeah. And kind of Appreciate like we're, we're so lucky, you know, we have a, a, a lovely counsellor who's been with us for over, over 20 years and she is definitely the person that we will refer the worker to if they're comfortable. Sometimes the workers are just happy to talk to their outreach workers like us and you know, that's where they want. They don't want to go any further, but just having somebody to hear them out, that's that's enough for them. And they go, thank you, Chantal. It's been really lovely speaking to you. That and really great. Gets yes, it. yeah, exactly, that's, exactly. That's important the importance of peerness. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice for clients of street-based sex workers on how they can be a better client? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, it may have changed a lot, I guess, since you last... Well, it has. Yeah, but... definitely, definitely it has. So the street-based sex work but has... never changed. Yeah. And look, you know, and there are, in New South Wales anyway, there are still some street-based areas um, that we, um, that, you know, that we visit. Um, and I guess one of the things that I'd, I'd, I'd like to let the guys know, the clients know, is that, you know, you just to think about what they're doing when they pick a worker up on the street, you know, because, I mean, it's the workers put a lot of effort into getting ready and getting themselves together and getting down there full stop. Some of the workers have been standing around for ages and ages. So when you pick up a worker, you know, it's all about respect, you know, just be respectful. And then pay the money, you know, just pay the bloody money. Don't bloom and start haggling, you know. I, I know it's part and parcel of the job and it shouldn't happen. Like when you say this is the price for this, you should pay it. But, you know, guys are not going to do that. They're going to haggle. Just pay it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and also to, the, I guess, at the end of the day, it's just respecting the workers, you know, and treating us with respect. Because, I mean, hey, yeah. that's what we're all about, you know. We're going to give you a well, service. And, yeah, exactly. And it's a two-way thing as well, you know. So... Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny that some people don't seem to understand that, that if, if you treat, it, it comes back at you. It's the same with any service professional. If you're nice to them, they're probably going to give you a good service. I mean, it's pretty basic. That's right. Exactly. You really want to be nice to the person who's putting your cock in their mouth. Like that's mm. probably the person you want to be nicest to. Especially you know? if they have teeth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like oh. you want. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, I feel like that's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think so. But there's all this stuff gets into, isn't it? All the stigma and what society's told them and, and all of that just gets yeah, in the way. Exactly. I, I think also to porn um, clients who watch porn. Porn. Stop watching porn, coming down, and this is for all sex workers as well. When you pick up a sex worker, please don't think that they're from a porn fucking show that you've seen because, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't work like that, you know. It does not work like that. Porn is porn. They have breaks, you know, that you don't <laughs> see, you know. So don't pick us up and then expect to be pounding us for ages and ages and ages. It ain't bloody worth it, you know. 
please get over it. We're not in the porn show. This is reality. You're sticking it in. You're getting your rocks off and you're pulling it out. That's it. And go. You know? Just, oh, my yes. God. It's just a nightmare yes. when they do that. And they go, oh, yep. I was yes. watching this porn. And, I mean, we were in this. T- oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm so sorry. That is not inclusive of this job. I'm so sorry. If you need somebody to get into backflips and, you know, tip them upside yeah, I down. Can't. No, phys- absolutely. You know, and, uh, yeah, and accepting that that no is no, you know, that's it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chantel. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute <laughs> <Thank> pleasure. <you. laughs> oh, wonderful. Thank you. See bye. ya. Okay, See ya. bye. As always, we'd love to thank our wonderful patrons this week for supporting us. Our new giving somebodies are Ms. Rainbow and Liz. Our new very generous somebodies are Cy Jaden Lilith. Evelyn Hunt, Josie and Crispy Cola. Our even more generous somebodies are Timmy, Andrew, Adam Smith, Leo, Lachlan, Cass, Sub London, Miss Billy, Diane Needs and Nora Knightley. And our extremely generous somebodies are Aaron, Samuel, Andrew, Pete and Theodore Betts, the first Esquire. Thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. We hope you've had fun and learned some interesting things. I look forward to seeing you next time. Please look out for us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. Our name everywhere is Somebody You Pod, as in podcast. Our Patreon starts at just $3 a month, and you can get all of our episodes ad-free and a day early, plus bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes action, bloopers, and more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the voices of sex workers. And remember, somebody you love might just be a sex worker. 